0: The Old Testament reading is from the book of Daniel this morning. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and found Daniel praying and seeking mercy before his God. Then they approached the king and said concerning the interdict, O king, Did you not sign an interdict that anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions? The king answered, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they responded to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the interdict you have signed, but he is saying his prayers three times a day. When the king heard the charge, he was very much distressed. He was determined to save Daniel. And until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. Then the conspirators came to the king and said to him, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no interdict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king gave the command and Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you faithfully serve deliver you A stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's, so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, "O Daniel!' servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel then said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no wrong. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. And no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. The king gave a command, and those who had accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples and nations of every language throughout the whole world. May you have abundant prosperity. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. For he has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God the gospel readings from the book of Matthew. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
1: Good morning. Always good to see everyone gathered together here. Uh, My name is Cindy Parker. I'm on staff here, and I'm excited to be the one who gets to teach the final Old Testament story in the summer of this Bible Stories remix that we've been doing Uh, Next week we're going to push into Jesus and into the Gospels of which there are several stories to take another look at. Uh, But I love this series in that we've been able to take a look at very familiar stories but then ask more complicated questions. What is the context and what more can we learn? Not just what is the easy lesson on the surface, but can we learn more, can we dig in more, and what is God telling us about who he is in these passages? But these stories aren't just individual stories we've been choosing. We've also done several different stories and several different time periods of Israelite literature, Israelite life and context. And so if we pull them all together, we start to see that this is a God of history, and this is a God who is actively involving himself in human history, and a God who likes to reveal himself and reveal his character to his people. When we get to our context in Daniel, everything is just a little bit different here. Here we have uh, the Israelites have gone into exile. Right? And so we have this people, we've been listening to their story. They were a people that were pulled out of the oppressive regime of Egypt and redeemed through passing through the Red Sea. A God who provided and protected his people in the wilderness. A God who created this covenant with his people. A God who appoints a king to be the righteous reflection of God to his people. We saw that in King David. Right? And so we see that there is this national God, except now we have the people who have been scattered throughout the Babylonian empire. And so we hit a snag in the story because the question is, what's going to happen next if God's people aren't in the land that they're supposed to be in? How is God going to move the story forward? Can God move the story forward? And the book of Daniel, and I would argue probably also Esther, are these hints and clues that God has not stopped working. God is still active. Even if his people are scattered, there is a future redemption that is going to happen. So the book of Daniel is um, kind of crazy, a little bit wild. Uh, the first half of it are the, contain the stories that we're a little bit more familiar with. So in the first Six chapters, we have the shenanigans of all of these foreign kings. So, starting with Nebuchadnezzar, and then we have Belshazzar, we have Darius here and Cyrus. So, we have all of these different foreign kings and their exercise of power the way they normally like to do power, right? It's an arrogance that is among these kings. But then God always acts. And when God acts, we see that these very powerful kings, even they, are subservient to the God, who is not just the God of Israel, but is actually the God over all the nations. The next half of Daniel is the part we don't often teach on, which all week I kept thinking, maybe the next time we do Bible stories remix, we should do all the stories we never talk about. That would be the second half of Daniel because it's all apocalyptic visions of weird statues, weird animals, and weird things that are happening. But it's actually a very culturally appropriate way of kind of pulling back the layers of reality and looking at what is the truth of what is going on. And those final chapters are all about encouraging the people to remain faithful to God, because in the end, he will redeem them but we're in chapter six. So we're right as we're flipping from this really cool and interesting narrative to really bizarre and odd apocalyptic literature. And all of the book of Daniel is to serve as an encouragement to all of the Israelites who are scattered throughout the Babylonian empire to remain faithful to God at all costs. So we start our chapter, chapter six. And if we were to go through, and in fact, you can do this if you would like, we could go through chapter six. And of all the chapters in Daniel, this one is about law. And we have the word law and then lots of synonyms. So decrees, decrees, edicts, and then in our version, interdict, which Corey, I don't know, we should ask you later about why that particular. That one seems like a weird one to me. But If you were to go through, circle, underline, everything, law, decree, edict, it's all over the place in chapter 6. And what we have is this great contrast between the law of God, this covenant God has with his people, and human law that tends to support hierarchy and power. And these two laws are going to be put right next to each other. One of them seems to lead to death, except it actually gives life. And one of them seems to give life, but is going to end up in death. And at the end of that, we go, who is the true king? What is the righteous law that we are supposed to be following? The first couple verses that are not included in the bulletin, so the first five verses of chapter six, are introducing to us the characters and the conflict So we meet Darius. He's the one who's now in charge. We're shifting from Babylonian empire into Persian empire. And Darius is kind of this in-between guy. So Darius is in charge. He's reorganizing his country. So he has set up 120 different people who are going to be administering different areas of his country. And those 120 are all under the guidance of three administrators, one of which is Daniel. And then we learn that there are all these people who see Daniel as this foreigner in a high level of authority, and they're jealous of who he is, and they're determined to bring him down. So conflict is issued. In verses six through 10, This is where we have the scheming of what goes on. So these other people who are in authority know Daniel, and they know the habits of Daniel. So Daniel is not hiding the fact that he is a faithful Jew. In other words, he is living his life out loud, and people see it, and they know that he is one who... Um, cannot be brought into schemes. Uh, he's not going to be fooled his righteous ruler and one who is active. He's not a lazy ruler. And they realize the only way we are going to be able to take Daniel down is if we create a law that we know for sure he will never bend his neck to. So something that he will never, ever, ever do and they know that has to be coming up with a law that goes exactly against the law of Daniel's God. And they convince Darius to sign this law into place. And then we start our portion in the bulletin. And here we have Daniel's response to an inferior law. And what is it that Daniel does? He just does what he always does. And he just goes to his window and he faces Jerusalem and he kneels and he prays. And this is really interesting because if you've been reading scripture and if you're hyper alert, as you should be when you read, to mentions, to ideas, to echoes of other passages, this bowing, facing Jerusalem and praying would make you go, wait a minute, sounds a little bit like 1 Kings chapter 8. And I would say um, this, well, so because I tend to keep giving you homework over this summer break, not really a break, but I would say read all of 1 Kings chapter 8 in light of what's going on with Daniel. It's really quite this interesting illumination. Um, It's a possible echo. It's not like word for word, but it sounds very similar. I'm only gonna read a couple of verses from First uh, Kings chapter 8. This is the, dedica- um, the prayer of dedication when Solomon is done building the temple. This is the prayer that he prays and this is about halfway through. So it says, when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you and when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to their ancestors. So that's when the temple is first built. But now we have Daniel, now that the temple is completely destroyed and Jerusalem is destroyed, Daniel seems to be embodying this, facing Jerusalem, We don't have the contents of his prayer, but the way that the writer is writing makes us think maybe this is what he's doing, repenting and praying for deliverance again and holding God to the promise that he will once more deliver the people. Well, of course, the people who have schemed against Daniel see Daniel doing exactly what they knew he would do, and they bring it to Darius. And here we have this really interesting comparison So we have Darius, who is the king. He is the one in control. But his actions in the whole middle part of this passage are all somewhat frenetic. He's frenetically trying to figure out a way if he can save Daniel, which he can't. He's frenetically trying to figure out if there's an end around and there's not. And then we have Daniel in this passage, who is the one who is going to suffer And Daniel is the one who seems quite calm and actually quite free in who he is and that he is being the faithful person who is staying faithful to the covenant with God. So in a great ancient Near Eastern way, where several kings, lots of different nations have a habit of doing a trial by ordeal. Daniel too is going to be thrown into a den of lions. It looks just like a normal trial by ordeal in which normally people would say we're going to let the gods decide if you're guilty or innocent, but they always choose something. It's not like innocent until proven guilty. These trial by ordeals are you're guilty unless by some miraculous reason the gods happen to help you survive right? And this is exactly what Daniel is going to go through. We see Darius, he keeps saying, may the God that you serve, maybe he can help you survive in this way. So the night goes on and um, there's a lot of similarities here in chapter six with chapter three, which are the three friends of Daniel who also go through something similar. They're thrown into a fiery furnace, if you know that story. And in both cases, both with Daniel's friends and with Daniel himself, there's a recognition that God might deliver. He's quite powerful enough to deliver his people, but he doesn't have to. Like the deliverance of God from this ordeal is not the thing required for them to believe. They will believe no matter how God chooses to act. And in both cases and in this book, and this is kind of the same with Esther too, where God's people aren't necessarily saved from the trial, from the ordeal itself. They still have to go through this pressure cooker, this compression against them. But what we see in all of those instances is there's a presence of God with his people through the trial. And that's what we get. Darius shows up the very next day anxious about what has happened to Daniel. And when they roll away the stone, it's interesting because he says here, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you faithfully serve been able to deliver you from the lion? And Daniel responds, of course. He was here here with me, protecting me. And I've been saved through this ordeal. And Darius is going to pull Daniel up and in turn take the people who tried to kill Daniel with lions. They themselves will be killed by the lions. So if we pause just for a second and remind ourselves. right? We're looking at a time when God's house, God's temple has been destroyed. God's city, Jerusalem, has been destroyed. The Jews are scattered throughout this kingdom, Babylonian, soon to be Persian kingdom. And we get in this story of Daniel, what does a faithful Jew do in this kind of situation? Even removed from your land. And there's a call to recognize that the God of Israel is the God over all of the nations. And God's people are to remain faithful to the covenant no matter what. And so the encouragement that God is in control no matter what it happens to look like. And Daniel was delivered, and so maybe there's hope for a future deliverance of all of the people. Well, we see Darius, and he responds here in an interesting way, um, fully recognizing who the God of Israel is. And this is interesting because not that long ago, we were looking at Pharaoh and Egypt and the people, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And through that whole story, God was revealing himself sign after sign after sign after sign to the Egyptians to reveal who he is. And sign after sign after sign, the Pharaoh was hardening his heart. The Pharaoh is is um, anchoring himself down into stubbornness to refuse to concede that the God of Israel was a powerful God. But here, Darius is going to respond in a different way. He sees a sign of God's power and he's going to issue yet another decree. And in this one, in part of it, he says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel." And notice, just for a second, notice that it's not people should, be, should have fear and tremble before God, like one and only God. It's not this God over all the other gods. It's the very particular God of Daniel. In other words, it's a God who has been made known to everyone because this is the God Daniel serves, and this is the God who is continually involving himself in human history. This is the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of David, the God of Ruth, the God of Daniel. It's a very particular God who happens to be on a very particular mission that is involving all these people in the journey. And I like this part too, it says, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion has no end which is a common type of song to sing about a god, but it's quite ironic in a book that has seen the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus all in one book. These human kings and human kingdoms keep passing, and this is the living God who stays consistent and continues to show himself in the lives of other people. So, granted... We are not Jews living in the diaspora. We are not living among a more powerful, dominant um, culture group. That's not our context. And so what do we do with a story like this about Daniel? And I wrestled a lot because there's a lot of possibilities and I kinda wanna hear what you would have to say What does Daniel teach us about God and God's character and therefore how we should act? But this morning, I was thinking more about how we may not live in an oppressive kingdom. We may not live under Babylon's control or Persia's control. And we may not be this really super tiny subgroup trying to live within this dominant empire that is determined to wipe out our identity. That's not really us. But what is us? is we live in systems of power, and human kingdoms and human systems of power tend to look very similar. We tend to elevate those who are powerful, and those who are powerful like to hold on to control and dominion, and they will suppress those who are below them. And yet we, as a community, um, who are gathering together in church right now As believers, we're called to live within God's kingdom and God's kingdom has a habit of looking very different from these human systems of power and control. And so what is God's kingdom? Well, this is when we look to Jesus, just look at his ministry. We have the God of the Old Testament stories of his involvement in humanity. And then we get the God of the Old Testament showing up in flesh and filling out for us this story of God's kingdom and what is Jesus all about in exemplifying God's kingdom he's always pulling people from the margins restoring them into community he sees and acknowledges those who are often unseen and unacknowledged and he is showing that this kingdom of God comes into earth because of his own humility and his own willingness to die on behalf of people. That is a kingdom that is shaped very differently from the typical human empire that would rather survive and put just a few people in power and oppress those who are down below. And so how do we live as we wait for the full recognition of God's kingdom on earth now? Well, we look to Jesus. And we look to see what it is that Jesus did and we do our best to mimic him. And we recognize that the God of Daniel, who is the God of Abraham and Moses and David and Ruth and Jonah, this is the God that we follow, who is very, very determined to use humans in his reaching out and creating and establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So as we head out into our week today today, and then through the rest of the week, this is us going out into our work, into our social structures, and looking for ways in which maybe God's kingdom can be evident there. Maybe we can upend some of these power structures, or maybe when these power structures put these laws in place that support the human ideal, we stay true to the God, the living God of, the, of all of the nations that we know that we serve. Will you pray with me? Holy God, the one who is not distant, the one who likes to reveal himself to all people, the one who perplexingly continues to involve yourself in human history and you continue to ask humans to be involved in pushing your story forward oh god the one who is on a mission to be known not only to your people but to all the nations in all of the world to you we pray that we sit in adoration of who you are that you open our eyes to see your kingdom and the shape of your kingdom as it is around us, that you open our ears to hear the stories of what the Holy Spirit is doing, and we open our arms to embrace you and embrace those who are around us. And as you come and establish your kingdom here on earth, may we be partners with you in that work. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.